1: I'm willing to bet that there's someone in your life who you call when you have a tech problem and not the, have you tried turning it on and off again kind of problem, but the more complex ones, the ones like, could my baby monitor get hacked? Or who is my smart doorbell giving information to? For a lot of people, that person is Jeffrey Fowler. He's a tech columnist for the Washington Post, part of a group of people who write under the rubric help desk.
2: And, you know, like the Avengers, we all have different skills and capabilities and specialties. What I love to do is actually investigate things, um, see the ways in which, the hidden ways often that technology um, isn't necessarily um, working on our behalf, and then point out those problems, tell people how to, how to get around them, and uh, maybe sometimes call for lawmakers and others to do better.
1: It's his own particular set of skills. A Liam Neeson for our digital trails, if you will. I know, I'm mixing movie metaphors, but you get it. Right now, as the holidays approach, even the most cautious of us might be throwing more money and data around the web than usual. Even I, and I'm pretty savvy about online privacy, got so roped into a Black Friday sale that I added a credit card to a social media network very much against my own rules. All of us leave way more behind on the internet than we realize.
2: We're leaving behind so much that it's almost impossible for any human, even someone like me, who's paid to figure this stuff out, to clean it up on their own. That's the reality. I mean, they're, you know, all of these corporations uh, have realized that they can make a lot of money off of our data. And uh, they are 100% incented to um, collect it, store it, mine it, sell it, all these sorts of things. And there's very little incentive for them to not do that. Very few laws that would uh, would get in their way.
1: In the U.S., only a dozen states, most prominently California, have comprehensive laws protecting our digital privacy.
2: Back in 2019, I did a series of stories of columns for The Post called The Secret Life of Your Data, where I just went on this journey and I tried to find my data and lots of things in my life, like, what does my car know about me? What does my credit card know about me? What does uh, my web browser know about me? And I just went through all these things. And it was a maddening process just to even get to the basic information of, okay, but what does this company know? What does the credit card know? What are they selling? What are they using? There was, at that time in 2019, there was not even a sense in... Um, in the U.S. that they had a responsibility to answer that question. And that's how I kind of got to the point where, wow, we're not going to be able to deal with this on our own.
1: You recently test an app that, I guess, what, is helpful in not dealing with this on your own?
2: This app is my new favorite app permission slip, it is the closest I've seen to an answer to that question that I that I came across in 2019. What are we supposed to do about it? We're
1: going to need help. Somebody made an app to help. So today on the show, we're going to teach you how to use it and take back your digital data. Think of it as your January gym membership for your digital life in December. Your New Year's tech resolution starts now. The ecosystem of digital privacy is incredibly complicated. Every app you use, every website you visit, every browser you surf on collects some kind of data. And each of these programs or platforms has its own privacy settings. Add to that a patchwork of state and federal laws and regulations and even international laws that govern who can collect what about whom. It's dizzying. You can go through your digital trail yourself and try to clean it up, but it's tough. That's why Jeffrey has become such a big fan of the app Permission Slip. It's made by Consumer Reports, the decades-old consumer rights organization. And the app streamlines the process of exercising your rights under existing privacy laws by making it easier to request that companies delete your data or treat it differently.
2: They have figured out a way to take on some of the the effort, some of the labor to make sure that our data gets cleaned up, that our data gets deleted when we want it to be deleted.
1: Walk me through how you use it. The
2: best thing about this app is that it's pretty simple. You open up Permission Slip, you log in by giving them your email address, your phone number, it verifies that they know who you are. And then you swipe through a series of tiles, each one representing a company, a company that might have some of your data. And with each company, it'll give you a little summary of the kind of data that that company collects about you. And then at the bottom, it gives you your choices, what you could possibly do about it with their help. Usually, you can ask that company to delete your data, delete your account, or you can ask that company to not sell your data onto others. You choose what you want to do, and then behind the scenes, consumer reports, and this uh, Permission Slip app does the work for you.
1: Can you tell me the story of a person? Maybe it's you. Maybe it's someone you talk to. Like the the sort of start to finish process and understanding what different organizations and companies had about you.
2: Yeah. Um, I think we have no idea how much companies know about us. We know that when you're at a, at a store, you're asked to put your phone number or your email in to get a receipt or to get some kind of discount. You know that when you're using a web browser, it's collecting lots of information, you know, when you're using a social network. But we really don't have a sense of how all of that gets collected by each company in aggregate and then maybe sold on, maybe uh, churned through to train some companies' artificial intelligence. We really have very little visibility into it.
1: When you put your own information in, like, what'd you find?
2: Oh gosh, Uh, when I used Permission Slip, I went through and I told companies including McDonald's, Kohl's, Intuit, Walmart, Ticketmaster, CVS, Disney, Starbucks, Airbnb, Netflix, the Home Depot, OpenTable, United, Yahoo. I could go on and on and on. Dozens and dozens and dozens of companies. I told them to all knock it off and stop selling my data. And according to Permission Slip's estimates, it saved me about. 86 hours of trying to go to companies and tell them to delete my data and not sell it. Uh, and they sent 129 emails on my behalf.
1: Some of this makes sense, right? Like, of course, Netflix wants your data. Of course, Yahoo wants your data. But like, what what is McDonald's doing with your data? Why do they care?
2: Uh, companies have learned that data... Uh, is useful in lots of different ways. A company like McDonald's, well, let me see if I can pull up and I'll tell you exactly what data they've got. All right. What does McDonald's know about me? Let's review. It gets identifiers, which are ways to figure out who I am that they can use to track me around the internet. Things like my email address... Uh, my phone number, my birthday, all that other kind of stuff that they can use to figure out who I am in lots of different places from lots of different data sets. They get my demographics, my age, my gender, my preferences, things like how I like my burgers. They can track me around the internet. They learn things about my uh, social media profiles that they collect. They get information about my location based not only when I go to their stores, but when I open their app and send them information. They learn about what I purchase. They even have access to the camera and other sensors on my phone when I use their app. So all that for a Big Mac. So that's just one example. Uh, But every one of these companies is collecting more data than you might realize. But it's not just corporations, right? There is a whole industry of, they're called data brokers, Um, that collect this information, buy and sell it from each other to put together profiles for you. And they sometimes sell that information on to other corporations, but they also sell it to politicians. Um, In 2020, in that election campaign, I went on another journey to try to figure out what do each of the big campaigns know about me? And I remember having a conversation with the Republican uh, National Party, where they very proudly bragged to me that they had three thousand data points on every single American voter that they were going to use to figure out how to how to target you with uh, with the right messages at the right time.
1: Did you notice a difference in your experience being online after you did this?
2: Yes and no. It's not about necessarily getting less targeted messaging, less less advertising in your in your life it's just about reducing the footprint of the information that's hmm. about you that's out there and, and thus sort of alleviating future potential harm when that data gets misused or stolen or god only knows what
1: one of the things that i was really struck by was after you wrote about permission slip so many people rushed to use the app that it was overloaded and it crashed like what what does that tell you about the demand for data privacy services.
2: One of my favorite things as a journalist who writes about this stuff is when people tell me, oh, yeah, nobody cares about about data privacy. Particularly young people don't care about data privacy. I remember uh, soon after I joined The Post in 2018, I wrote a story that was just kind of a labor of love where I went through all of the biggest uh, tech companies in our lives, the biggest products, and I told you what the crappiest default settings were and what you should change them to. That story was the most read story at the Post for like a week. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then here we go again, uh, six years later. Uh, we have an app that, that helps automate some of taking back control over your data. And uh, the story was also in the most read stories of the Post. And the app was so popular that, yeah, it's, it completely crashed their servers. There's some new reporting from Pew, where they've been surveying Americans about what they think about uh, data privacy and and their concerns about it, and they are skyrocketing. They're going through the roof. Americans are getting more concerned about their data and how it's being used by both corporations and the government uh, than ever, and feeling less in control of it than ever.
1: Consumer reports created this. And I guess I wonder, like as any journalist, why? what Why are they funding it? What do they get out of this?
2: Consumer Reports has uh, a long tradition of trying to help consumers. And they have a digital lab that's run by some folks who have been very involved in these discussions and also in helping to get some of the few laws that we have that do give us data privacy rights. And after California got the first round of data privacy rights, uh, basically in America in 2020, Consumer Reports tried to make use of them like I did, and they found it was really, really hard. So they got um, some organizations to fund them to make an app that could help. And I, I really applaud that.
1: You're a technology columnist. As you said, your job is to sort of look out for the average user. Do you ever feel nervous doing things like recommending an app? Because now you're out there saying, like, this is the way to go.
2: Sure. I'm not in control of what companies do entirely, but I know whose values I trust. And there are definitely organizations, nonprofits like Consumer Reports or Mozilla, uh, that have, you know, they don't always make the right choices. I wouldn't always necessarily agree with every line of the privacy policy or practice here or there, but are generally on our side. And I think uh, those organizations need the spotlight because right now um, our lives are being dominated by giant corporations who are definitely not our friends, but are very good at marketing and make themselves seem like they're great in the future and uh, maybe even good at things like privacy when they're not actually.
1: This app is free. Where is the money to fund it coming from?
2: Sure. So Consumer Reports is a member-funded organization. Inside the app, they say, hey, if you like this, donate. Um, Also, they got some money from nonprofits like, I believe, the Omidyar Foundation. That's the one founded by the guy who uh, created eBay uh, to help pay for it. And it does cost money. I mean, one of the things that makes Permission Slip work is, yeah, so much of it's automated, but not all of it. Some of this process, and the reason why it feels like You know, hula hooping when you're trying to do it uh, as a person is a lot of these companies throw up obstacles when you tell them to to delete your data or when you tell them not to sell your data. They're like, oh, you got to prove you are who you said you are. You got to click on some buttons here. You got to click on some buttons over there. Um, And so they actually have humans that are doing some of this work for you.
1: When we come back, why are we stuck relying on privately run apps for our privacy anyway? Let's talk a little bit about the regulatory picture here, because as you mentioned, California was the first state to pass this data privacy law in 2020. Can you explain what that did and then the effect it seemed to have on other states?
2: Yeah, I think one headline for listeners here is I don't think many Americans realize we actually have some privacy rights now in America. Um, That kind of snuck up on us, and it was uh, no thanks to Congress, which has been— Debating and talking about our need for privacy rights for literally decades now, Congress has done nothing. Um, It's thanks to actually voters in the state of California. Um, And in 2020, uh, a law went into effect uh, that was called CCPA that voters in California put into effect. And it gave us a couple of critical rights as consumers over our data. And there were two big ones. First of all, it gave you the ability to go to pretty much any corporation and say, hey, delete my data. And then B, the second right it gave you, was you could go to a corporation and say, hey, you do not have my permission to sell my data. And uh, that's a big step forward because previously uh, they didn't even have to tell you that they had data or what data they had. Uh, The California law actually gives you a third right, which is really mostly useful for um, reporters like me, uh, where they also have to give you a copy of your data.
1: After California passed its law, several other states followed suit. Right now, 12 states have broad laws to protect digital privacy. But even if you don't live in one of those states, you can still generally benefit from their laws. Because most big companies don't want to take the time and effort to tailor their products to multiple different states and jurisdictions. I mean, I think one of the things that's interesting here, right, and the reason we're talking about permission slip, is let's say you have this right, but without a nap, how do you navigate saying like, hey, Amazon, I want to know everything you know about me, and P.S., delete it all?
2: Yeah, it's really hard. And these companies have become very expert at making it hard to figure out how to use those rights, making it hard to figure out what buttons to press, you know, and in some corporations, in some cases, with the biggest of big tech companies, it's still really complicated, And that's one sort of challenge with the Permission Slip app is it can't really help you as much when it comes to your relationship with Google or Amazon or Facebook because of the particular ways that they have data that we want them to have because some of their products are useful. Uh, And they tie that up with, uh, with their using that data to make money off of
1: us. Do you have any concern that in order to use an app to delete data, you have to give an app that data?
2: Sure. I actually heard from uh, a number of of Washington Post readers about this. uh, And it was actually at the center of Consumer Reports' mind as well. And uh, they made several choices in the design of their app to try to minimize the the data that they collect. The funny thing is, in a way, their app would probably be more effective if they had a little bit more data about us. (laughs) So, for example, one of the hula hoops that the companies will throw at you uh, when you try to exercise your privacy rights is to say, well, prove you are who you are. And consumer reports can say, no, we verified this is Jeff Fowler. This is his email. This is his phone number. But sometimes companies can say, no, show us, for example, a copy of his ID. Hmm. Uh, and that is not something that consumer reports wanted to collect about Americans. They didn't want to collect you know, snapshots or scans of people's IDs. So they haven't done that. But if they really want to be exhaustive in their list of corporations that they can help us reclaim our, our, our data from, they might need to go in that direction.
1: Are there companies where you might actually want them to have your data? Yeah, this is
2: part of the complexity and uh, and something that, that the permissions that people do wrestle with. Let's take, for example, Google. Google is probably the biggest data company there is out there. They know more about us than anybody else. Um If you wanted to use these laws that exist, your privacy rights laws, um, it would be a very blunt instrument in terms of our relationship with Google. First of all, Google claims it does not sell our data to anybody else. Why would Google sell it? They make so much money off of it, they're going to keep it for themselves. They use our data to target us with ads. So uh, no, they're not giving our data to anybody else. Uh, You can tell Google to delete your data. But again, that's a pretty blunt instrument. You tell Google to delete your data. There goes your Gmail. There goes all your YouTube videos. There goes, you know, all your Google Photos. This whole lifetime of stuff that Google has been convincing us to to store with them. What you really want as a consumer is a better relationship with Google. A relationship with Google where it collects less data about you. In the situations and times when you don't want it collecting data. So sure, you want it to hold on to your Gmail, but you don't want it to have a record of every single place you've ever gone with your Android phone. Um, And to get to that level of granularity still involves more work for you as a consumer.
1: There is an irony in, in this conversation that we're having where we are so awash in companies, websites, tracking us, using our data, selling our data, that we need an app in order to get rid of the data that the other apps are collecting. Like, it feels like we're sort of building a tower on top of this crazy system instead of kind of going under and addressing the root problem.
2: Yes. I think we should have laws in America that say really basic things, such as a corporation is not allowed to collect data about you that isn't required to do the thing that you ask it to do. Um, However, we don't have those laws in America, and um, we don't seem to be very close to to getting them to happen. So without that, uh, the onus falls on us as consumers to defend ourselves, to take action. And uh, that is super annoying. (laughs) I wish it was not that way, but I still believe that we can and should defend ourselves and protect ourselves. And, uh, you know, I'm not a Luddite. Uh, I believe in the powers of technology to make your life better, to connect you with people, to give you information, to empower you to do your job better or be creative. And I want all of these things. um, But I know that we have to stay extra vigilant to make sure that our interests are protected along the way.
1: Now is the time in the interview where I ask you the question that people ask me when I talk to them about internet privacy, which is, I'm not doing anything bad. Why should I care?
2: Yeah. It's a classic question. I think the answer is once data is out there, it's out there. You're not in control of it anymore. And you're not in control of what might happen to it in the future. And we got a really good reminder of this uh, last year when Roe versus Wade got overturned in the United States. And all of a sudden, overnight, in many, many, many places across the United States, seeking an abortion or even helping someone seek an abortion became illegal. And when prosecutors want data about who's seeking an abortion, they have lots of sources of information to go to, but one of them is people's phones. And phones have all kinds of data that... again, people are like, I'm not doing anything illegal, it doesn't matter, that we're collecting not only people's internet search histories, but also where they physically went, their physical locations that could be used against them. Google Maps has become like a favored source of data for police and prosecutors across America because it knows so much about where people are at every single moment. And unfortunately, these companies cannot be trusted to do the right thing. So after Roe versus Wade got overturned, Google faced a lot of pressure to stop collecting such creepy data about where everybody goes. And so they made a promise to delete data that they had about people when they were at abortion clinics or at hospitals. They said, okay, we know that that's sensitive. We don't want to hold on to that, so we'll delete it. Uh, A couple of months ago, I tested that, and I drove around uh, Silicon Valley, with a couple of phones in hand to some clinics that offered abortion services. And then I went back and I checked my Google data, and it wasn't deleting them. Google
1: wasn't living up to their own promise. We're heading into an election year, and I I wonder how this kind of is interwoven with electoral politics. You know, the idea that, as you mentioned, you, you can be targeted, micro-targeted based on your data— is that particularly concerning, do you think, when we're all kind of throwing off these little digital breadcrumbs and not thinking about it?
2: Absolutely. Um, one of the failings of Permission Slip and uh, the app that it that exists right now is that they're not going in and automatically trying to delete some of our data that's held by political campaigns hmm. and political data brokers. I, I wish they would. Um, this data can be used in all sorts of ways that we're just beginning to understand. For example, we now have access to artificial intelligence writing tools that would have, in theory, the ability to, you want to talk about micro-target, they could write a different email to every single voter based on those 3,000 data points that the party has about you that that hyper-targets your particular interests, your fears, your... Uh, likelihood to believe certain lies, you name it, that could all be used against us to um, make our democracy go in directions we might not want to go.
1: You know, it is great to have this conversation with you. It's great to hear about the kind of apps that are available to people, but it does feel like such a small bore solution when contrasted with what you're telling me both about an election, but also just about the giant companies that I would say many, if not most of us, use all the time. And the fact that there is this utter logjam in Congress about any type of federal privacy legislation. I just wonder where that leaves us, like these, you know, sort of Sisyphean efforts of one app against an industry that depends on data.
2: I could tell it leaves you in a place that's pretty depressed. I feel that. I, I hear. I hear your pain. <laughs> I, I understand that sentiment. Um, it leaves me feeling riled up. Hmm. Like it leaves me feeling like we have more important work to do than ever to fight for us as consumers, as users of technology, and as citizens. I feel like we're at Other points in American history where it took a kind of uprising of consumers about automobile safety, about cigarettes, about all sorts of things to really put the power back in our hands.
1: And do you feel hopeful?
2: Hopeful. Uh, I think that the fact that we have some privacy rights is a step in the right direction that I wouldn't have predicted 10 years ago, to be honest. So I am hopeful that states. Are leading the way on making America get some privacy laws. Other countries are also leading the way on laws about data and also artificial intelligence, where America seems stalled. I also feel hopeful that I have more and more conversations with people in Washington who are in positions of power that they understand what's at risk, they are following closely uh, the issues. Our system is messy, it takes a long time, but we're, we're making progress. And meanwhile, as a consumer for you the, the individual it doesn't mean you should just throw your hands up in the air it means that uh, you need to fight back uh, you need to take some of the steps that we recommend in lots of different articles in the Washington Post and our help desk section and you also need to let your lawmakers know that you care about this stuff and you think it's crazy that uh, that they're letting this all go on
1: Jeffrey Fowler as always, thank you for coming on. You bet. Jeffrey Fowler is a tech columnist at the Washington Post. And that is it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell, Patrick Fort, and Anna Phillips. Our show is edited by Mia Armstrong Lopez. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. And TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And if you like what we are doing here, the best way to support us is to join Slate Plus, our membership program. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. All right, we will be back next week with more episodes. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening.